What is your heart's journey? For motivational speaker and reboot specialist Diane Bischoff-James, she didn't know until a harsh but honest interaction with renowned intuitive Sonia Choquette turned her life upside down and put her journey on the right track. Shortly after that jolting encounter, Diane realized that she would have to do a full life reboot or come back to this planet and do it all over again. Now she helps others reboot their own lives. And as she explains, the process, although intense, can be equally fun and gratifying. Well, today I am thrilled to have someone on the show who I consider not only a colleague, but a friend. We met just about two years ago, and we have been friends, and I think in a way, kindred spirits ever since. I'm talking about Diane Bischoff-James, Life Reboot Specialist and author of the book, The Brass Ring, Change Your Life Course Now. And that's what you did back in February, I believe, of 2000. You began the journey to change your life course after a meeting with renowned intuitive Sonia Choquette. Tell us about that meeting, Diane, and the unexpected turn your life took right after that. Well, that meeting was actually a birthday gift that I decided to give myself. I'd had some very synchronistic events happen a week before, and two people that I, just random people who did not even know each other, but they were both mutual friends of mine, said, you know what, you probably should go see this woman. Her name is Sonia. She, or Sonia Choquette, she was in Chicago, actually in Andersonville at the time. And they said, you know, she's a great psychic. Why don't you go see her? Now, I hadn't seen a lot of psychics before, but I thought that was really strange. I had heard this message twice in such close, you know, such close proximity of time. And so I I decided to go see her actually as a gift. And it was um, a birthday present. It was actually on my birthday. I was 38 years old and, you know, went downtown, trudged through the middle of February snow in Chicago. And I really thought that she was going to tell me that I was, you know, the cat's meow, that everything was perfect and that my life was fantastic and was only going to get better. That's what that was my expectation because, you know, I'd have my own business. I felt like I had done everything right according to the rules that I had been set up when I was a kid. You know, get a big job, you know, get a good education. So I went to Northwestern. I had my own company. There, you know, I always knew you had to be, had a big family. So I had three kids and I also had a house across from the lake in Chicago. So mm. I felt like I was really fortunate in a way um, that I had had all these possessions, material possessions, and I had a cute, you know, Saab convertible and everything. And so (laughs) I was tooling around in my little red car and um, I went to see Sonia and sat in her little office in her home because at the time this was when she only had, I think, one or two books out at that point. And she started off the reading just by kind of um, studying my chart a little bit. And then all of a sudden her head starts to shake and she has curly hair, and so her curls are, like, bobbing up and down. <laughs> and I'm looking at her, and she kind of looked a little like she was going a little convulsive you know? She was, like, shaking her head and kind of going, oh, my goodness, oh, my goodness. And she's like, you are completely off track. She goes, everything about your life is wrong. Oh my God. And if you don't hurry up and grab at the real brass ring, which became the name of the book, yeah. she goes, it's going to be too late for you. And I kind of just sat there and I looked at her like, you know, what are you talking about? I I have what you're supposed to get, right? I have the stuff. I have the car. I have the big house. I have, you know, all these demanding clients. I work 24-7. And I really was in complete and utter shock. So for one hour, 
she completely undressed me. Hmm. She said, everything about your life is wrong. She's like, wrong guy. She goes, oh, this boy. Is, That's yeah. a big one. Yeah. yeah. She goes, this is like a fraternal relationship. She's like, you're like hanging out with your girlfriend. And I couldn't really disagree, you know. And she said, you have the wrong career. Even though I had my own business, my own successful marketing business, you know, she said, you're supposed to be an actor, an author, a teacher, and a healer. Oh, my gosh. And, you must and I wasn't doing any of it, none of it at all. Although I loved acting since I was a kid, I had loved everything about metaphysics, everything about spirituality, everything about philosophy. That was everything I had studied kind of growing up on my own and partly in school. And I had a background in psychology, but she said, you are so completely off track. It's as if you went up a ladder, you climbed up the ladder, got to the top, and then you looked over and you're on the wrong ladder. Hmm. And so she kind of beat me senseless for this entire session and she's like you, you know, you're a smother mother she's like you have these kids but you know and it was I was I was always there it's right I was even when I wasn't having a meeting I was at school I had to do playground duty I ran the plays I was a cheerleading coach I've been a volleyball coach even though I don't play volleyball you know they don't know that <laughs> but I was everywhere doing everything and she said, you know, you're, you're smothering your kids. And she goes, quite frankly, you're clinically and chronically depressed. Oh, my goodness. That had to be just the shock of your life. <laughs> so well, she, she dressed it, you down for sure. Yeah, she, <laughs> she cut me to my knees. And the funny thing is I hadn't told anybody that I was sucking down Prozac like there was no tomorrow. So mm. when she called me out on that one, I literally felt the blood drain out of my face because mm. it's – it wasn't talked about back then. Even if you were taking antidepressants, nobody knew, you know, but I, I felt in some ways as if somebody had literally for the first time seen what was going on in the inner core. Mm -hmm. And then, now this is the part that she was too polite. She didn't bring this part up, but I was also almost, you know, morbidly obese. I was like, I was 190 pounds and I was sitting in her office in a nice business suit, but I was clearly overweight too and wanting to cry every day so I was sucking down Prozac so I wouldn't be in tears and I'd always loved theater I'd love performing arts and she said you know I can tell you this and I don't get to tell this to anybody else and I always take that little tone because she she has a really cute voice but when she gets going it's pretty harsh you know mm -hmm. and she's like you you're just like your father she said you're you're just following your father's and your mother's footsteps she goes you're not even a human being you're not who you really are at all you're barely even a human being and she said and you are supposed to pursue all the things that you're really good at she goes and i can tell you this and i don't get to tell this to anybody else she goes you're gonna do really well at being an actor she said and most people i can't say that to but with you i can she goes you will have a nice little career for yourself and you're going to pursue these things in this order and she went on and on okay you're going to be an actor and then you've got to write your stories every day because people are going to really love your stories and that's the part that's going to really be helpful to others are the, these crazy stories that you're going to have and i kind of just sat there the whole time gripping on to the it was like this velvet you know velvet plush chair and my fingers are digging into this chair <laughs> Looking at this woman, thinking, how in God's green earth am I going to redo everything? Well, let me ask you a question. I mean, she obviously just laid it on so thick. I mean, I don't know if someone were that <clears throat> blunt with me, <laughs> that consistently how I would respond. <laughs> but were you getting a sense that this, this was 
what she was saying you needed to pay attention to? I mean, right at that moment? Or were you thinking this woman's, you know, she's she's really off? What was your first sort of gut impression of what she was saying? I wanted to jump across the table and start choking her. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest can you with be, you. Can you be a little clearer? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was kind of, I kind of did, I hate the messenger, you know, like, mm. I'm just going to slay the messenger because it was kind of like, I felt, how dare you? How dare you sit here in your, your beautiful Victorian house and seem to have your act together and be writing books and doing whatever, all the things she was doing at the time. I was thinking, how dare you tell me that my life is garbage? You know, so at first I felt like offended and angry and mm. I think it went straight to the uh, straight to the place of righteous indignation. indignation right and I'm like no this can't be but it but at the same time it hurt so much yeah. so I, I had both I had that that going on I had the the anger and also the incredible hurt and then I think I went straight to shame because I finished the session I asked her only one question. It was like I barely spoke the entire time. And I, before she left, I said, okay, well, let me ask you something. I said, you know, you, you're telling me this huge ominous warning, like it's too late. I said, well, what happens if I don't do this stuff? Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, Diane, I'm telling you, you're here to find your heart this lifetime. And if you don't, which means in all areas of your life, she goes, and you're going to have to come right back and do this whole thing all over again. And I'm like, I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean come back? What, you know, I wasn't quite sure, you know, what exactly she was talking about. She goes, you're going to die. She goes, let me clarify. You're going to die and then you're going to pass and you're going to have to repeat this entire lifetime because you're not getting it. And I thought, okay, that was the one thing that clicked in. And the kind of it in a way it was a nice, it was a nice thing because I've always been kind of strong minded in that there was no way that I was going to sit there and think that this lifetime, even if it was a mistake, that I was going to, there was no way I was going to come back and do it over. So mm-hmm. that was kind of the, that was kind of the, oh, heck no. Oh. That was the kicker. Yeah, yeah that was I gotcha. Yeah. It was kind of the upside of it. Yeah. Like if somebody gave me a warning and this was as if, you know, someone's like, ooh, someone comes in and goes, look, you know, everything's wrong. You got to fix it. And there, I thought, okay, well, fine. If it's wrong. I'm midway through the middle of I'm in the middle of my life. I've made a complete, obviously, mess up until this point. Mess according to the spiritual side, not mess according to the materialistic side. And they're saying, now you've got X number of years to fix this thing. Mm -hmm. So I started counting my days. And I had about, I figured I had about like 11,000 days to straighten it all out. So I was thinking, if I want to chill out by the time I'm like mid-70s or so, I had about like 11,650 days or something like that. And really, you know what, um, it was kind of, that wasn't, didn't seem like that much time. So I knew I had to kind of move it or lose it, uh, get into this high gear and fix every single solitary aspect of my life. And wow. I, I, it, after I stopped being depressed and crying about it, I got kind of, I got very serious. I, well, I took it very seriously. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you had a, a pure purge in the, in the strictest sense of the word. And, you know, as I listened to the story, I had no idea it was that intense. I mean, I knew just sort of on a perif- peripheral level what the story was, but that that's pretty heavy. And it seems like Sonia was the, the, her voice was the gift. You know, she mentioned she made reference to the heart and living from the heart. And I, I've heard you say everything you have done after this turning point, you said you've done them purely from the heart. I want you to elaborate on that a little bit. How, how is that so? Well, um, I think 
and this was so interesting that you bring this up. Uh, Sonia had said, okay, there's, everyone has a different mission. You know, some people are here. Some people are here just to rest. Mm-hmm. And really, it's mm-hmm. kind of a rejuvenation lifetime. And they don't have to work that hard. Maybe they have, I don't know, maybe they are um, just supporting some other people in their lifetime, but they don't have to go through the trenches. And then she said, some people are here to find their heart, which was supposedly my master mission. And the funny thing is when she said it, this weird image popped up in my mind. And I always think of um, Snow White <laughs> in that the huntsman comes to the queen and he's like, I've brought you a heart. And he puts it in a box. <laughs> and I huh. kept thinking, mine's in a box, but it's not a nice box like the huntsman has to give the queen. Of course, we know it's the boar's heart. That isn't Snow White's heart. She does. She lives, of course. But my heart was in this like steel box where there was no there was no access to it whatsoever. It was strictly being programmed, strictly being um, uh, following the rules, being a good soldier in life, but not experiencing anything. I didn't want to feel. That's why I took the Prozac. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to. If I didn't feel good, I ate because mm-hmm. eating is the only thing that made me give me gave me that one little lift. But of course, you know we know that whole what how is that like the most horrible cycle in the world? You sit there and you eat because you're feeling bad and stressed and, and depressed and you eat and then less than 10, 15 minutes later, although that initial sensation feels good, you know, wallowing in shame and blame and guilt and horror that you just ate too much already mm-hmm. and now you're going to be, you know, you're going to gain some weight tomorrow because you just did that. So it was that awful cycle of taking one second to self-soothe and then knowing that I was going to have to beat myself senseless in my um, in my mind because I just continued to eat and eat and eat because it was the only thing that made me feel good. Mm-hmm. So my only connection to heart at that point was through food. And the relationship was um, very fraternal. You know, it was uh, pl- it was it was a working relationship. Like mm-hmm. we were, I felt like we were running a B and B or something. Mm-hmm. And um, so there was no heart in that. Yeah. Okay, so that was then, and, and this is now, I want to fast forward to now and then maybe kind of revisit and juxtapose because I think it's great for the audience to hear the, the you know, a transition that can be made in a lifetime and at your age. I know you've made mention of that. So, so now, or, you know, after that sort of critical moment, that epiphany, you started living from your heart. And, you know, we kind of, we hear that and we kind of think of it figuratively, well, of course, or poetically. But what what does that mean? And I, I want to put a little emphasis on this, Diane, because we're hearing more discussion about living from the heart versus the head. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I think when we were kids, what did our parents say? <laughs> think with your head, not with your heart. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, we're talking now about the heart having its own intelligence. It's it's even more than an emotional center. So, a would you concur with that? And b are you gleaning intelligence from your heart? Do you think? Absolutely. And I, I do believe that the heart actually is is the center of you, you know, the core and the pranic tube that, you know, you have this, this central tube that actually goes through us that connects from heaven to earth. Mm. And the heart is right in the middle of it. And the heart is, as you mentioned, not only, not only is the heart intelligent, but it's also intuitive. Mm-hmm. It's also connected. It's also your source of compassion. It's your source of love. It's the source of joy. And so often, like you, as you mentioned, as kids, we were growing up where it was, and I just feel like we were soldiers. Follow the rules, 
get whatever they told you to get, do whatever they told you to do, be quiet until someone talks to you. And, you know, and this is the generation where we're the 40-somethings, 50-somethings, 60-somethings, and we were good kids, or there was a punishment for that. So mm-hmm. we follow those rules. Now, I think there has been a big shift where there's more um, awareness that this journey is from the heart, which I'd like to expand to say your soul's journey, is here which with, with these bigger missions, bigger missions to, and, and part of it, and this is one of the teachings that I, I've had since I met with Sonia, I've had the chance to tour all over the country, meet with people in, in probably at least 15 states so far, and to really look at where people are off track. And when mm-hmm. I have the opportunity to speak to people and hear so many of these, these amazing stories of people who know that the heart is off track because they'll say, I feel like I'm not clear about my purpose or I am know what I want to do and I'm not doing it. So they have taken this, this purpose that they, their heart is aware of because the heart, here's the funny thing, Alexis, I'd like to cut to the chase. Please. The heart will not invest in compromises. I love it. Period. End of story. So, when I'm in sitting and traveling all over the country and just you and I were both together at Conscious Life and then people come and talk to me and they'll say, I want so much to, um, and, and someone just talked to me about to have like the best candle company in the world. And this woman was going on and on about how she wanted to expand it beyond sense, but to make it so that it could actually have, you know, a, this dynamic experience in different colors and, and have, and she was smart enough and clever enough and, and talented enough to come up with the new version of Yankee Candle or whatever it might be for her. Mm-hmm. And she was stuck. And she's like, no, but I'm sitting doing this horrible, boring job. I'm in accounting and I hate it. And I, at night, I want to get to my candle factory in the basement. But I'm too terrified to, to try to go forward and to make this into something that would be a, a, a living for me. And, you know, I just said to her, your heart's not going to invest in a compromise. Mm-hmm. Her eyes open up and she looks at me and I said, so no matter how much time you spend doing this other work, which is great, you can doesn't mean quit your day job. It just means you really have to go into this experience. You're, you're trying to be a sensory person and contributing to the world with new sensory experiences. That's where your heart wants to be. Mm-hmm. And she starts to cry. Mm-hmm. She she she's like, "Oh my God, you're right. You know, it's all you're you're talking to me all about about multiple sensory experiences, which of course, you know, we know ill uh, brings us up. That takes our vibration and it raises a vibration up. So there, she was saying, "Okay, that's my heart's journey." And then we talked about her relationship and the different aspects of how that's whether it's connected on a heart level or not. And so the heart really is the core of all of this. It sure not is. Only, not only for the purpose, but for your relationships, for your contribution. And then I think, of course, for the essence, your yeah. essence. Right. I love, I want you to repeat, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Diane, for the audience. The heart does not invest in compromise, correct? That is correct. I love it. That, that one's going to go down for the record <laughs> in writing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to add one to it. The heart does not invest in compromise and the subconscious can never take a joke. I want to transition there (laughs) (laughs) because I I think there's a connection somehow. I, that that's kind of what came to me. You got two things going on here. And so this brings me to the power of self-talk. You know, we know that words uh, spoken audibly are extremely powerful. We know that, but so are the ones we repeat silently in our heads. We all do it. 
particularly when they're sustained over a period of time. And that can work either, as we know, for positive or negative. Just how powerful uh, would you say these words or concepts are? And I'm bringing this up at this point in the conversation because this woman, uh, Diane, like so many others, are clearly t- talking to themselves. There's there's a mantra that's going on in their head saying, I love my candle making company, but I can't do it because, because, because. And and all of that, that self-talk is feeding the subconscious. The subconscious can't take a joke and thus will manifest the reality of where th- that person is until Diane comes into their lives and tells them about the heart <laughs> doesn't invest in compromise. So that was a mouthful. Get what well, I'm I know. Saying? I love it. I love it because um, it, it really pours, it really ties right back into, I think, one of the fundamental core principles, um, which is stinking thinking. And it always makes me laugh because it goes back to Saturday Night Live and it goes, that's just stinking thinking. Well, my stinking thinking, this is just going back to where I, you know, going back to sitting in Sonia's office, my stinking thinking was so enormous at the time, it filled my entire life. At the time, back then when I was almost 40 years old, everything was based on fear or what you said, I can't do this because... All these things are going to happen, the horror, the terror, you know, everyone's going to die. And usually the funny thing is the stinking thinking isn't ours. It doesn't really belong to us. Very often it came from the program that we had growing up. Mm-hmm. You know, it could, could have come from mom, dad. It could have come from an authority figure. It could have come from some traumatic experience that you had. And it's based on this route where you made a conclusion or a decision usually young, young, usually in childhood up until about, you know, maybe 13, 14 years old, and you made a decision about something, whether it be about your lack of ability to be loved or lack of ability to be authentic and be really you, because if you're really you, everyone would reject you. And then this is the part I love, and I'm only going to say this lovingly because it is kind of funny, but we all... Most of us believe kind of at the end of the day, if someone really knew who we really were inside, they would run screaming. Hmm. <laughs> you, you know, think, you think, <laughs> well, <laughs> I think, yeah, I do, because I talk Aww. to people all over the country about this and they'll say, you know, we, we I have this amazing technique that I've come up with that is a combination of um, EFT, but it also adds in ancestral clearing. It adds in all these different types of techniques. And it usually what happens is there was a decision somebody made about themselves and I'll say, okay, well, when this event happened and you were put in this traumatic situation, what is it that you told yourself? Mm-hmm. And usually what blurts forward is, I'm stupid or I'm, no one's going to love me for who I am or some really deep core message that feeds the stinking thinking. And then what happens, as you said, Alexis, bringing in now to the, the verbal component of that, because that little message seeded so many different things, it comes through your thoughts and you're thinking, well, no one's ever going to love me anyway, so I might as well stick with you know this guy who's not treating me nicely. And therefore, your actions and your words are, yeah, well, I guess I deserve to be, you know, have nobody treat me well, and therefore it expands, and your words are, and then your actions, and the, the, the weirdest part of this entire strange irony of life is that we work so hard to prove that our messages that we've told ourselves are right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I agree with you. And we're going to do everything in our power to make sure 
that we're accurate on these stinking thinking messages so isn't that the ultimate irony isn't that the ultimate irony isn't that the ultimate irony it's it's the ultimate irony but it's also you know i'm I'm sitting here and i'm listening to to your anecdotes your stories not only of your life but those that you come in contact with those that i come in contact with those that we've all heard about and there seems to be a common thread of uh, undermining the self and and how did this how did humanity get to this point we could as I always say, go off on a tangent there. There's so many things we could. Um, but I, I think it's worth kind of touching on a little bit. How did this get to be such a ubiquitous phenomenon of undermining potential? Um, I have some answers, but I'd like to hear maybe what you have to say about that. Wow. Or some I mean, opinions. That, that could go back so far. Um, you know, that, that could go way, way, way back in that um, there's a lot of theories on where there was a shift. But mm-hmm. supposedly supposedly at the time of the Atlanteans, if we want to go all the way back, you know, there was this very powerful society that was self-fulfilled and had had contribution and love at the center of it and was also able to connect our entire DNA and all the strands and we were able to communicate in many different ways that we can't even imagine. And you know, why exactly that fell, how exactly that fell, and why we came back as um, limited and self-destructive and destructive of others and destructive of our own society. I don't know. I mean, we could play on that. There are a lot of different theories yeah. as to why that came about. But but I do believe that this is the first time and, you know, since our, since the shift came up, you know, in 12, you know, was it 12 12 12 you know and all that when we were all trying trying to shift is that i think for the first time now we're able to actually bring the awareness to such a high level release like acknowledge and release what is what is holding us back at the core and to finally not only for our generation the ones who are midlife and beyond but then to actually bring that back to the younger people, to the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings, I believe we're now finally able to scrub the inside, which is the way I like to look at it. I think we're finally at the point where there's enough tools and techniques out there and enough healing available where we will not need to be operating out of the program that mm. says, and usually there's, there's three buttons to that. The one button is about love for self. The other button is about love from others in the tribe. And then the third button is uh, about love and support from the universe. And those are the three things that um, I have a, another book coming up, and I'm going to expound on that at length. But those are the three areas in which our operating systems have started from. Mm-hmm. It's lack, loss, and, you know, lack of fulfillment, basically. Mm-hmm. And so in in any of the people that I'm able to to share their journeys and opportunities and talk about their growth, we go right back to those three core buttons Mm -hmm. because somewhere in those, and we all have a different combination. Some people have no problem with the scarcity. Some people have uh, not as big an issue with love from tribe and love from family and others. And some people don't have a big issue with love of self, but it's usually kind of a palette. And each of us have come in with certain buttons on this palette that get pushed down. Mm-hmm. And we then operate, unfortunately, we operate and make sure that we fulfill those, make sure those buttons stay pushed so that mm. 
you don't get a great relationship or you really never get fulfilled with um, having feeling like you're safe and secure in this world and that you're always operating out of scarcity, not only financially, but but in many cases it could come materialistic. In some cases it can come in other ways. And then some people have the area of, of tribe, which is that no one's ever really going to like me. They're going to run away screaming if they know who I am and that the tribe's going to reject me and I'm going to end up all alone. So kind of boiling it all down if if we were able to and i believe that this is our future this is our utopia in the future we're able to uncover what got pushed we're able to heal all those traumas and wherever we made uh, choices about ourselves that were unhealthy or not supportive or not loving getting back to the heart and then we're able to heal it and move forward and manifest in a magnificent way which is to have these newer fulfilled human beings walking around that are on purpose, on track with their life. So life is feeling strong and fulfilled. They're on track with their heart so that their heart is enlivened and, and, and loving and supportive and able to not only contribute to self but contribute to others. And then they're also on this massively fun track of playing with the world of manifestation. I want to talk about that because yeah. yes, you you definitely uh, didn't mean to cut you off, but that's a that's a juicy point that I want you to elaborate on, and that's playing with uh, life. And I've seen this in in you, Diane, and in the conversations that we've had. But I've also heard you talk about this that you look at life as somewhat of a game in a positive way, of course, and so playing with it igniting creative imagination to consciously manifest. That's what we're going to call this, conscious manifesting in the law of attraction. Would you say that underneath the core, even before this sort of reboot that you had, that was always sort of your, uh, that was sort of there always, but just dormant, that, that you knew you had the ability to play with life and make things happen? Looking back in retrospect, what do you think? Oh, in hindsight, I felt in some areas powerful, in in some areas. Um, and I was able to, and I look at it like a chemistry lab, mm-hmm. where, you know, it, you know, it was really fun when you're, in, you know, a teenager and you put on your goggles and you're sitting here and you add this little one liquid to another liquid and all of a sudden the thing's bubbling up in your, in your, <laughs> um, <laughs> in your beakers. And, you know, I always thought that was really cool. So I look at it kind of like a chemistry lab and that's where, that's where I started having more fun. I felt like in, when I started to reboot myself, um, I was able to heal the inside, and I started there. And then mm-hmm. what happened is um, this this sense of mastery mm-hmm. somehow kind of, uh, I would say it's, it was able to sink in at a more of a cellular level. And when it, the funny thing is that I think, okay, well, the core belief is what you think about, you bring about. That's the fundamental belief of law of attraction in, mm-hmm. in the simplest terms. And it's really not only what you think about, but of course, it moves up in scale. So not only what you think about, what you talk about, what you pay attention to, and absolutely the highest level, which people don't really understand, is what you write down. Mm. Because, and let me tell you why, the physical, our, our job is to play in this world of called the earth, you know, and to manifest what we want. But once it's physically real, which means you can see it on a piece of paper and you took your hand or you typed it or whatever and you see it down there in front of you, you now have made it real for the first time in this world, mm-hmm. in this dynamic. 
And this is the dynamic in which we're playing. So not only what you talk about, the one thing that we work on a lot in some of the workshops we do is to get so specific and clear that you're, you write everything down exactly the way you want it in the specific details. Of course, you leave a little room. The universe has to morph and play with it. That's right. But you get to be very clear about the qualities that you would like. And, and one of my, one of my really fun examples, if it's okay, if I, if I bring it up at Absolutely. this time. Absolutely. I started playing with all this. Okay, if I think, if what I think about and, and focus on, pay attention to is all coming my way, then I better make it good. And so I started getting really fun with this. Okay, well, I said, you know what I want? I want a box of chocolates. And <laughs> life, well, life is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> you never know what you're going to get. Sorry, I had to put that. <laughs> but it's exactly, exactly like that. And I was, I said it before the movie. I was playing with this before that movie ever I came love out. It. Uh, but, um, but the fun part is, I said, okay, I'm not going to buy them. I refused to go out in the store and buy them. I wasn't going to go, you know, go look, go sh- hunting them down. I wanted to see if the universe would deliver them to me, just purely for fun. Uh-huh. So I wrote down everything I wanted. They had to be Belgian. They had to be delicious. I really only like, I'm kind of into fancy chocolate. So I wanted them to be, you know, of the Godiva quality or better. And I started writing down what the fillings would be. And and then I said, okay, you know, I went outside because I'm playing now. I'm playing in my, my little lab. I went outside, put my hands up. No one was watching me, thank God, because of course they'd think I'm crazy. And I'm looking up to the sky on a beautiful sunny day, and I'm like, okay, I want a box of chocolates. Please bring me these box of chocolates. I really don't care when they come. I don't care how they come, but I just want to see if you're listening and if you'll respond. And then I I did a little extra step because I know that this manifesting in the physical realm was really important. So I, I found a picture like in a magazine um, and I cut it out and I kind of, and this is, this is funny. The day timers. Remember when day timers were, I sure did. <laughs> we're well, dating ourselves <laughs> back then, back then when we used day timers, I put it in my day timer and I kind of taped it up. So I would just see it occasionally. And I swear within two weeks, I'm at my home office, I'm working, the doorbell rings, and lo and behold, there's the FedEx guy. And I get this box, and he's like, I have a package for you. I'm like, okay, thanks, Uh, take it. I was not expecting anything. Open this up, and inside it, I swear, was a beautiful white box with the gold medallions of Godiva chocolates. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And I open it up like, are you kidding me? I got a FedEx box of Godiva chocolates and I'm looking, trying to figure out, okay, where did they come from? Why, who sent them to me? Was this a joke? You know, because I didn't tell anybody that this was an experiment I was doing because I didn't want to like, I didn't want to feed it or, you know, have my fiance at the time do something like deliver them to me. So I look inside the box and it was from a bank, from a mortgage company. And it was saying, it said, congratulations on your anniversary, Diana Devine. And I'm thinking, okay, obviously there's a woman named Diana Devine. It's not me. But I got her chocolates. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my goodness. Oh, and I was like, darn it. These aren't for me. And so but, then, yeah. I had that, then I was like, okay, do I call the company? Do I just eat them? So my conscience won and I called the company up and I said, look, I got this box of chocolates for a woman um, named Diana Devine. Now, my, my name is Diane, but it's they're not for me. And they said, they told my name and they said, um, uh, well, Diane, you know, they said, enjoy your box of chocolates. We will send Miss Divine another one. It was her old address at that house. 
and we will find her at her new address. So enjoy your Godivas. And I'm like, I felt like, that seriously, is... I was like, did the universe just say enjoy the box of chocolates to me? And so this was mm-hmm. so funny because I like, I was crying, laughing, and of course, snarfing, just sucking down those chocolates at the time. Um, <laughs> and let me, let me just say for the record, folks, Diane, divine, <laughs> and now I know you're, you're all true eco. Uh, visited my home just a few weeks ago. And to this day, because my husband and I are not big chocolate eaters, you know what she brought as a little housewarming? <laughs> the best chocolate ever ice cream. I was just, <laughs> so she's telling the truth. She loves chocolate. How could the universe not miss, how could the universe not miss that message? That is just priceless. Okay, we got to go back a little bit. This is, oh, I'm, I'm going to go into my chem lab as soon as I get off this call with you. <laughs> so you, okay, so this, obviously, this is just uh, magnificent. And I, I, truthfully, I have heard these sorts of stories before, but it never ceases ever to amaze me how the universe works. You write this down, right? So you're making it tangible. And I love the way, Diane, you talk about how um, in order to to sort of set the template for something manifesting in the physical world, you've got to do something that sort of mirrors that physicality and writing down is a tangible process. So you wrote it down, you put it away, right? You walked outside. Tell us again, give us a little, because I know people are going to want to try this. Here are some of the steps. First of all, you have to, it always starts with clarity. You have to be clear and specific. Yes. And here's here's the funny thing, because people will say to me, and I'll just tell you a little bit about what not to do so that you don't go down this road. But some people say, I just want this person or my wife to be happy. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll, of course, always coach and say, look, you can only want and manifest for yourself because you are the power source for you. You are not in somebody else's circle. They're not in your circle. So I have these 14 shortcuts for happy living. I'm going to just mention them now because they're very helpful also in manifesting. But one of the rules is, You've got a circle. It goes around you. It's a, you. Put your arms out. It's about five feet. That's what you have to work with. That is where your power comes from. And I always say it's like a knocker ball. Those big knocker balls they have now, you can like run and knock into people and roll around. That's what you have to work with. So you stay within your circle. You get clear and specific. You can be specific on the details. Now, you don't get to control the how. Mm-hmm. How it shows up is not up to you. But what it is you want and being very clear and specific is up to you. So as long as it's like, okay, I want, I want this, you know, and I, I, I do this. I, I did this to manifest my fiance who Alexis, I know you do know. I know it sounds funny. I wrote a list so clear and specific and I like to use it as an example because it kind of illustrates the point. You know, I wanted someone who was taller than me. I wanted someone who, you know, I, I'm okay, blonde or brown hair. I don't care. You know, I wanted a certain, I wanted a certain, um, intelligence and maybe a certain education level and then I wanted somebody who you know could dance or at least would be, they didn't have to be a great dancer but they had to be willing to because I love dancing so I wanted someone who was willing to get out on a dance floor with me and I wanted someone who had um, this is really funny because I would had a lot of when I became um, I always say it's my cougar dating phase <laughs> I went through a whole phase where I was like I, you know, I, I separated and, uh, and we, we ended the relationship in a, you know, in a very healthy way. I would say it's a healthy divorce. Mm-hmm. And, um, then I went into this phase where I was able to date and I met a lot of wild, wild people on that road and that's all in the book. But, but one of the things happened and part of my list and the reason I bring it up is I, I actually went out with somebody who had a box for a table. 
and had an air mattress for a bed. So I was like, okay, you know, I don't want that. So I wrote down, has to have at least a couple pieces of furniture, you know, (laughs) and I really would like him to have a car. But, you know, not everybody in the city has a car. So I said, I put, after that, I put optional, you know, so I got really clear. And then the funny thing is, you know, and then I let go. You have to put it, you you need to keep it in a place, whether it's a wish box or um, it could be, it could be somewhere you see, I like to say passive observation so that you're not staring at it every day, but you do know where it is and maybe it's tucked into your favorite book or maybe it's maybe it's somewhere where you're just going to take a look at it occasionally. So you remind yourself. And so you put in this place a passive observation and that's the second step. And then you have to state it. And this is the other part. You have to use your words as well. So whenever uh, you have the opportunity, which sounds weird, but whenever it's normal and healthy, you tell everybody what you're up to. And because people are also helping you manifest, it's all part of the the black hole, that circle, which brings it to you. And so I would say, yeah, I'd love to meet somebody who's a partner. I'm really looking forward to, you know, having a relationship that would be long term. And so I started being very clear and specific with my words as well. And then lo and behold, again, about for me, it's always about two weeks, you know, a couple weeks later, I had this guidance, someone, I went by a tent and it was a and it was an alumni thing. And it said, Northwestern alumni event. And I went, hey, I should go to one of those. It was like a weird, it got me. I got my attention, went to one of those events, and I met I met somebody who every single solitary item on my list, he checked off <laughs> to the point where I was trying to ditch him at one point. And I said, okay, you know, because I was getting really, I wasn't really tied to anybody. I said, well, you know, if I meet people, that's great. But I was sitting at dinner going like, oh my God, you are checking off every item on my list. And everything he would say, I was like, check, 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 weird. And then I'm like, I can't get rid of this one because he hit every item on my list. Mm. And as it turned out, we ended up dating from that point on from our first dinner. And we're still together now. Um, I think we're going into eight years. And um, And I know this person, he's really nice. He's a sweetheart. He is a nice guy. Yes, he's a good guy. But here's the only caveat. You need to make sure you're clear about what you want because if you don't put it down, sometimes the universe, I I always think they have a sense of humor. They put some stuff in that you didn't put in your list. So he's not from this country, which I didn't put. I wanted someone from the U.S. He's from, he's Dutch. And so that's been, it's been good for me, but it's like a whole, I had to learn a little bit more about another culture and learn, you know, they kind of have different family dynamics and things like that. So if there's something you really want, all I'm saying is make sure your list is as clear as specific as possible, Mm -hmm. because sometimes the universe is pretty funny. Oh, I think, I think (laughs) it's true. It's, you know, the universe can be a trickster, but always a teacher. But I'm going to, you know, I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here for a moment. Not really, but a point that you made that I think... Uh, you've just, it's born out here. You said initially that, well, I guess what you said is the how is what you leave the universe to do. But what I really take that as, Diane, is I think it's imperative that we always leave a little bit of space. I have a little phrase that says, have goals, but let go of expectation. Because sometimes when you have too specific of an expectation, you may inhibit something even bigger, better, and more different, you know, different to come in. And so perhaps that was that little piece of extra. You've got to learn about a different culture at Al. So I don't know, just a thought. No, I love that. I love that. And I, yeah. I really appreciate you bringing it up because I, I've always found that the way that this manifestation process works best 
is if you focus on the important qualities. Mm-hmm. And the ones, some things are deal breakers for, let's be, let's be honest, some things are deal breakers. Like, for example, if somebody, I really didn't want to have someone um, at the time who, who like had, well, I was really clear on specific addictions. I didn't want them, you know, I wanted them to um, uh, be able to go out and have a good time because I had had an addictive relationship in the past. That was a, that was a deal breaker for me. So if somebody had um, an active addiction, that was something that was not on my list at sure. the time. Yeah. And I was kind of clear about that. So if there are things that are deal breakers for you, you can definitely be put them on your list. But then I leave, as you said, which is beautiful. I leave a lot of space. Mm-hmm. Focus on the qualities of what you're looking for um, because you don't get to sit there and craft the face or craft sometimes even the vehicle. Like if I'll say, okay, I really, I'm looking for a new car. I'd like it to be, you know, within this budget. Um, I really want it to drive well and to last for 10, 15 years when, you know, I want to put a th- hundred thousand miles on it, you know, and then you kind of leave some space in mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. If you're okay on the color, if you don't care, if it's, you know, if it's a Toyota or Ford or, you know, if you're really kind of flexible on certain things and then you give the universe the chance to use that space to come up with kind of a creative, a creative um, outcome, because you know it really all goes into that that manifestation funnel, and this is the part that they don't share. Usually, when you are manifesting, other people's input is going. You know, we're all manifesting at the same time, mm-hmm. so the hybrid comes in because we're all co-creating. And in the co-creation, it comes out maybe sometimes a one-off or a two-off of anything you could have imagined. And in most cases, like you said, it's for your own best interest or it's a learning experience. Or sometimes I just think it's because it was what was there at that moment in time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes in the future, you know, if you wanted X and you're willing to wait six months, you might have a Y at the end of six months down the road. So Mm -hmm. all that plays into these and so that's why I call it a chemistry lab. It is. I think that's perfect. Beautifully drop this, said. Drop, drop of that. Absolutely. Listen, I think, my dear, you are a born manifester. I really do. And this is a question I want to ask. Do you think that there's some people that have more of a natural inclination for conscious manifesting than others? Um, I have to. My 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 feeling on that is that we are all master manifestors mm-hmm. at our core. The only thing that will inhibit us is when we have self-doubt or doubt in the universe and its ability or have such kind of maybe some rigidity to our thoughts and our beliefs. So a lot of it's about just opening up and relaxing in your um, experiences. And I, I love to challenge the universe. So that and, and part of it's the lightness. If you can put that lightness back into it and mm-hmm. say, okay, um, just – Another quick example, um, I was, you know, having my own self-doubt, which I get sometimes, you know, it's been a long road. I've been touring for about a year and a half now. And sometimes I get, you know, oh, what am I doing? You know, I go through the, is this, is this working? Is this okay? You know, I was going through a little moment of self-doubt. So I said to the universe, show me. I want you to show me once a week that what I'm working on is helpful and that people are getting, you know, it's, it's the right path for me and that, and that, there's a benefit to this for others because that's really what I want to do. And it was it was amazing. So I did it at kind of a – I was having one of those low moment days. I don't know whether it was just funky and off. And ooh, again, within seven days, <laughs> I have a random email that comes across that said, I met you at a show. I was in Ohio. I just want to let you know. When you talked to me, it changed my life. And it went mm. on and on and on. And I thought, 
I just looked up and I'm like, thank you. <laughs> you know, I love it. and then so you can ask, you can ask your team. I look at it like a matching grant. You ask your team for what you want and then your team, which is your, you know, your support from the other side, which we really can't see. A lot of us can't see them, but they're right there. And you just say, can you please, I would like this from you. Can you please um, show me support for this? Can you please show me the answer to this question I have? Can you please give me some indication um, on direction, path, experiences? And I believe it's their job to respond. So as long as you have this openness and this flexibility and kind of that space and willing to float through it a little bit, it's a matching grant. So as long as your energy effort and all this is going in one direction, it's their job to match you at a equal or higher level. And I like it when it's at the higher level. Right, of course. <laughs> of I course, love if it's a, you know, a little higher is always better. You, so, um, yeah, you have such a way with words. It's a matching grant. I, you know, uh, the audience knows we have a sort of companion post that goes on the website and I put show notes and sometimes I'll put memorable quotes. This is going to be chock full of them. <laughs> I love it. Listen, we don't have that much time left. Oh, no, I know. I, and I knew it would go quickly because, you know, we, Diane and I gab all the time and it's just, it's just a wonderful thing, but such such a rich discussion that I hope people can extract something from. But before we end, now, you and I talked about this. We've talked about this a lot. I want to switch gears a bit. I actually want to take a full 180 degree turn because, you know, Diane has a lot of stories that she's shared with me that she hasn't shared with others. And I, Diane, you know where I'm going with this. This is a story that you told me when we initially met. Uh, I can't believe it seems like it's been longer, but only two years ago in San Mateo, California, for I think it was the New Life Expo conference. And you told me this story. I've been bugging you ever since to let me record this uh, for my own work and research of let's just call it the aspect that I call the field of high strangeness. You know what I'm talking about? So I don't know how or if we can tie this into what we've been talking about today. Maybe we can. Let's see if we can. But first, can you share the story with us? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And and this is where it's nice to have you, Alexis. I, uh, you know, you know a lot of the stories that don't always make it into print. Um, but, um, I, I, I like so I'm blowing up, up your spot. <laughs> no, I like to bring it up because um, I saw something that. I was, you know, it wasn't until I had this experience that I really, um, I'm open to everything on spirituality. I'm open to everything metaphysical. I'm open to everything in the, in this plane of existence. But it wasn't until I had this experience that it really, um, confirmed that there really is, as much as there is a lightness, there also is a darkness. And that, that's the part that was interesting to me. Um, I had an, uh, one of my relationships when I was single um, was with a person who had a very, very, very strong active addiction. And uh, it's one of the favorite stories in the book. But um, he, he took me from this place of lightness and manifestation and positivity and growth to looking at the darkness of life that I've never, ever seen before. It involved everything from, you know, getting arrested um, he was incarcerated. He um, he had hmm. he had things happening to his body that were just horrible, and it was all because of his addiction and because of all the the, the terrible things that went along with that addiction. But once um, he went to his mother's house, and his family was um, had a very strange dynamic. The mother was very strong, very controlling, and they too probably were participating in in other addictions. But he went out to go fix something. And uh, he was in the backyard, and his mom made him come back and said, you've got to fix our telephone 
system. So he tried. He went out. He was an electrical engineer. He actually had Mm. multiple masters. Mm. He was brilliant. And he came back in, and I was out there with him in the yard, and I said, are you an electrician? Are you a telephone guy? And he goes, no. And I said, then how are you going to fix this? He's like, I don't know, but my mom said I had to. And I'm this is a 44-year-old man. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I sat there watching him for a while. And then we, we came in back into the kitchen, and he goes, mom. Um, and she was just sitting there, and it was kind of like back, dark room, dark kitchen. It was almost, you know, five or six, and it was going getting to be dark outside. And she had one light over her head. And she snapped her head and she looked at him and she goes, how dare you? And I swear her entire face turned gray. Her eyes turned black. I saw blackness in the center of her eyes. And it was as if her skin turned a color, like the color of death. It's the only color I can think to describe it. It's like that sallowy, whitish gray color. And it was as if, weirdly, like she was possessed almost by... An entity, a creature, a serpent, I don't know what it was. And I just stared at her because I'd walked in the door. He looked at her. I looked at her. And then in less than, you know, like another couple seconds, it all went back to looking like this older woman who was very sick and had like a lot of veins on her face. So kind of the blood came back. And I, I just stood there in the doorway and I thought, I think I've just seen something that's not of this world. I don't know whether it was extraterrestrial. I don't know if it was serpent. I don't know what it was. But for the first time ever, I felt like I'd seen, you know, a reptilian kind of experience. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what to say. I thought at first, and I had, this was the middle of the day. We were just outside in the yard. We were fully functioning. (laughs) You know, there was nothing that this, my, my, at the time, my boyfriend's name was Jeff. There was nothing Jeff or I that we've been doing that would make us have any false senses at that point. And I kind of backed up. I backed out the door. I literally walked outside. He followed me, and I just looked at him and I said, "I I don't know what I just saw, but that was not human." And and he kind of just brushed it off, and he said, "Yeah, my mom's got some issues or something mm. like that." And I didn't know what to say to him. I didn't. It's one of those things where <laughs> I felt more concerned about my personal safety. Mm-hmm. So I said I had to go, and um, and he, I said, "I think why don't you come with me?" Because I was kind of concerned about his safety too. And he wasn't able to fix whatever she wanted him to fix. And I felt like a mask was dropped for one moment in time. And I never forgot it. I never forgot the look. Um, I never forgot the color. It was as if I saw, I saw the lightness of day, and then I saw the darkness, the just the absolute darkness mm. of night, or whatever you want to call that. And I've never really shared that with anybody before, but um, it was something I never forgot. And yeah. I kind of call it my serpent moment, where I, I really felt like I felt I saw a reptilian kind of experience within a human. Yeah. And um, I haven't. I have not fortunately seen it since, but I did get the heck out of there and I drove away and I, I really was very reluctant to go back into that house ever since because, Mm. and then she did, here's the weird thing, um, not to do the spoiler alert, but Jeff did not have, um, his addiction did take his life Mm. and weirdly his mom, um, did pass three months after he, he, like within three to six months after he died as well. Mm -hmm. And so they had a lot of uh, death and destruction around that family. Mm -hmm. And uh, his father had already, had had also passed. So I think almost everyone in the family died within a really short period of time. Mm -hmm. So it was some, some weird synchronistic stuff. Absolutely. Well, look, I, 
I, I really thought about how I wanted to fold this in. But, you know, you and I talked about this. And, and again, my audience knows I do cover these sort of very elusive, high strangeness aspects to reality. Uh, not, again, because of the, God forbid, thrill factor or just the novelty of it. But in the, Diane, in the, in the attempt to even just get a glimpse as to the scope of the true nature of reality, including our own potential. I think it's important to look at that spectrum to the best of our ability. And here we have, uh, and by the way, for those of you who haven't seen Diane, you'll certainly see her picture. She is simply stunning. She's lovely. She's she was. She's not in this sort of work, you know, what we're talking about here. So you can only imagine when she told me this story, I thought it seemed so um, uncharacteristic, not uncharacteristic, but atypical to the type of work you do. But I, that is why I wanted the audience to hear this story coming from you, because this phenomenon apparently is just as present, uh, you know, coexists with all these other aspects of life. And we need to be aware of them. I wouldn't go necessarily seeking them out. But I have a feeling that, you know, all of these are little pieces to a puzzle is is, is uh, I see it uh, of what we call life. And so uh, sometimes you have to look uh, at the dark in order to understand how bright and brilliant the light is. And that is what fortunately you have entrenched yourself in. And that's the light. So I want to salute you. Uh, for, for that. Listen, we're out of time. You got to tell us now. I just got a little little heads up. You got a new website coming out, don't you? Tell us <laughs> yeah. about what's happening on your calendar and your, your world. <laughs> well, this weekend I will be at Victory of Light Expo that is in Columbus, Ohio. It is an unbelievable event and so many tens of thousands, I mean 10,000 people go to it. It's amazing. So I'm super excited about that. And then I'll be in Fargo, uh, North Dakota, and that's coming up for uh, the Edge Expo, mm-hmm. and that is on the April, I think it's the 22nd, and let me see, I think it's the 22nd, and the 23rd, and the 24th, and then we're, we have a new website coming up, and um, kind of developing it with the future in mind, it's going to be my name, Diane Bischoff James, and we're going to take the name, which was Live Your Everything, it's going to be a little bit more of a tagline now, and it's going to focus on tools that help make transformation easy. Love and it. that's that's the one thing that um, I've known for, even though we talked about both the, the brightness of life and then we have, of course, there's always a polar opposite. We have the brightness and we have the darkness. But my whole focus in life is to help make transformation easy in this modern world. And that's what I'm here to do. Folks, I think if there's anyone that can pull that off, it's Diane Bischoff-James. Oh, you're fabulous. Love it, love it, love it. (laughs) And I love you too. Thank you so much for having me. It has been such a pleasure. Likewise, Diane. Thanks so much. And thanks everyone for tuning in to Higher Journeys Radio. Take care. Who said manifesting can't be fun? Diane is clear that the gifts she received, both small and large, came from her own chemistry lab of imagination and creativity. Whether it's a box of chocolate synchronistically showing up at your front door or the partner of your dreams, it's all in how you manifest. And Diane certainly has a beautiful way of illustrating how that all happens. I encourage you to pick up a copy of Diane's book, The Brass Ring, whose title was inspired by that ominous and life-changing meeting with Sonia Choquette. And speaking of Sonia, you may want to check out my interview back in 2014 with her as she discusses her own life-changing journey. We'll make sure to have the link to that episode listed below. Thanks as always for taking the high journey with us. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks.